Welcome everyone, this is another episode of That Record Got Me High, I'm your host Rob Elba, it's great having you all here, and it's great to have a guest all the way over on the West Coast, he's a, a musician, I've had a good run of musicians on the show, so we're going to keep it going, he's the lead guitarist for the band Sugar Cult, uh, he's also, he's written and recorded and performed with uh, National Acts, the Ataris, Bad Astronaut, Nerf Herder, and more, and for now, I guess the pinnacle, I could say the pinnacle of his career, he's finally he's a guest on that record, got me high, I'd like to welcome Marco DeSantis. Welcome All right, I finally made it. You made it, Marco. I finally made it to the Yeah, fun. yeah, actually, um, <laughs> uh, Steve Loudon was a guest, and he was the one that uh, recommended That's you, right. right? Yeah. Yes, yes, um, uh, someone who I have a lot of history with, um, I guess the pen name is S.W. Laden, um, and I will just go ahead and just give I you I didn't know what to say. I just made up now. Steve. I don't even know if his name's Steve. No, his, name, his actual name is Steve Coulter. It is Steve. And okay, he, all right. As, in, in, his, um, in his former life, he was the drummer of um, some of the most amazing bands that hopefully someone will feature on this show at some point. And I was very tempted to do it, but I thought it would it would feel a little bit like... Hey, you know, Steve hooked me up with oh, the right, podcast, right. so now I'm going to do his right. band. I'll tell you what, <laughs> it absolutely was on my short list, and it led me to the record that I ended up choosing. I was going to, Steve was in a band called Czar, that's spelled T S A R. Okay. And they made one of the most amazing, uh, one of the most amazing rock and roll, power pop kind of records that, uh, that's been made this century. Really? Uh, at the very turning point of the century, they made a record on um, Hollywood Records, which is the weird major label that Disney decided to start for some reason. And um, they got it produced, I believe they got it produced by Rob Cavallo. All the fads and all the kids are the guy who produced um you know most of the green day records that became huge right, right, right. and produced uh, some of my other favorite records that i wish i i wish you didn't just make me choose one no stop uh, stop it's fine it's know, fine. the first muffs record and and the second muffs record blonder and blonder and you know just you, you find out when you when you geek out on music and you start to look at the minutiae of produced stuff and who engineered stuff you find out that there's it's it's kind of Occasionally, it's like no wonder I like all of these records, and you oh, find right, out that the right. same people have their fingerprints on it. Yep, exactly. And that's kind of what happened. Like 
That Czar record, I'm telling you, you know, that Steve Coulter was, he was the drummer of that band. That was produced by Rob Cavallo. Um, and then you go back to his old band, which was called Rydell High. Right. Okay, Rydell High what, um, got put out on an indie label that myself and my buddy Joey Cape from the band Lagwagon used to run. We had this idea to have an indie label. It was all going to be bands that were like what we used to sort of call like 90s power pop like we were like we want to have a whole label of bands that sound kind of like Weezer so we had the first right. band we signed was a band called Nerf Herder from our hometown just our friends right. they were just doing it as a hobby I bought Van Halen 1 it was the best damn record I ever owned teaching why 1978 two hand tapping guitar technique really caught me off eruption yeah ain't talking about love up to be a giant hit kind of accidentally because neither of us knew what the hell we were doing and then the second band we signed was steve's band Rydell high and their singer actually grew up with the singer of weezer they moved out to hollywood in a like crazy hair metal band where right, kevin right. Rydell was the singer and rivers from weezer was the shredding lead guitar player <laughs> and then they got out here and they realized that no one cared about heavy metal anymore and they all cut their hair and started listening to the pixies and formed their own like cool little indie quirky bands one of them was weezer one of them's right all high and the rest is history anyways i can go on forever we haven't even started talking about the record well, yet Well, that's good you know but that's good because what you just were talking about leads us really good into the record so good tell us what but, we're talking about the, the band okay, and album so, we're talking about in order to do this properly i also have to put a cap on steve coulter because he's the one who led me to the podcast so he was best friends with a guy that i played in a band with in the early 90s called popsicko okay so i had a band in the early 90s before sugar cult called popsicko and we made one record that you know very small amount of people heard and it's just about to get re-released on a really kind of interesting label called Big Stir Records. It's finally getting put out on vinyl. And it's oh, getting, nice. Coulter wrote a whole book to go with it. It comes out literally in a couple months. I'm showing it to you. Oh, I just awesome. got it in the mail. But all right. So, so all this stuff is connected. <laughs> okay. It's connected. But go ahead. All right. So what's the band and album? I don't think you even said it yet. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. So the band and album is the band Super Drag and the album Head Trip in Every Key. Their second, okay. So new, uh, obviously, when you said Super Drag, yeah, I remember Super Drag. They're great, and I love them. And and a lot of people are going to know from their uh, their, their first album. Yeah, who sucked out the feeling? It was like a '90s one-hit wonder, right? Sucked out the feeling. Everyone knows it. I'm going to play a little bit, and everyone will hear, will know that song. But all right, here's here's my thing. Just I had never, I I I've seen them before, and I I knew they were a great band, but I didn't know about this record, and I didn't know the whole story about this record, which I've been you know reading about. And okay. all right, I, tell me if I'm crazy, Marco. But this record to me seems like it could be some kind of tragic rock opera about what it's like to be an indie, be an indie band getting signed to a label in the 90s. 
I feel like that's kind of like I, what this I is. I feel like you're not too. I feel like you're not too far off. I mean, that who knows exactly what it's about. We'd have to have like John and, and those guys from the band in oh, here right, telling right, us. Oh, right, right, for sure. But but you know, in my perception of that record, and honestly of that band, the funny thing is, it was hidden in plain sight all along. That if for those of you, for those of you who were around in the '90s, um, it was there was a weird climate in the air like with my band popsico we were out there and we had all grown up playing in like kind of scrappy little like garagey punk bands and just whatever and then we we started you know just making up songs that were maybe a bit more melodic and then all of a sudden things like you know around the same time that things like nirvana and weezer and green day and all of that stuff started to happen where it was like wow it's interesting you can still hit hard but also be melodic and the weird thing that came along with that, as we all saw with Nirvana and Green Day, to be fair, because Nirvana started out on Sub Pop, an indie label out of the Pacific Northwest, and Green Day started out on Lookout, which Lookout, was a label yeah. out of the East Bay in uh, Northern California. N these bands were not designed to become radio stars. These bands were literally like formed while the radio stars of the day were like, you know, kind of in the aftermath of Bon Jovi. You had all the like slaughter and, and, and yeah. you know, Britney Cinderella, Fox and, right, and, yeah. and Cinderella, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it was like the idea of like a band that's just wearing thrift store clothes and making up songs with their friends and playing shows with their friends is ever going to go anywhere. It was like that was off the table. Right. It wasn't even, I mean, of course, in your wildest dreams, you know, and name dropping, but we got to, my band Sugar Cult got to tour with Green Day a bunch of times. And when we compared notes, we're like, okay, we're all in the same exact cultural timeline. Like we all started out as kids jumping on our beds with tennis rackets, you know, trying to be, you know, trying to be rock stars. And then little by little, our older siblings turned us on to the replacements and you know, the rest is history. Right. But like, so the, the, it wasn't like rock stars by design. It was like, hey, you know what? Let's make up songs with our friends and play some shows because that's just what you do. But then little by little, this culture was created where they actually, there was actually a path at, you know, maybe Nirvana kind of broke that open. And all these bands, including my old band Popsico, not to make this about Popsico, but <laughs> no, um, no, fine. we started getting pursued by big labels. And right. we were just like kids in Santa Barbara fucking around. And like, you know, you started to see that. And there was always this weird kind of reluctance. But at the same time, you're like, I mean, it would be kind of nice, but right, I mean, right. that's not yeah. who we are, right? And then it's like, <laughs> right. but maybe, let me, so I think a lot of bands in the 90s, Super Drag included, probably had that in their own way. We were kids from from California. They were kids from, I think they're from Knoxville, Tennessee. Yeah. There was a reluctance, that, you know, to when you, they got signed, but there was still that kind of reluctance and you heard it right, it was, like I said, it was hidden in plain sight. Their first single, their only hit single was Sucked Out, which is Who Sucked Out the Feeling. Listen to that song. It's all telling you right there. Oh, right. That, yeah, exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Music has no more like vi vibe. It's all just become like commerce and, and like. If I never made a sound, what he's saying right in the song, if, if I never made a sound again in your eyes, you've already, you've already, you've already spread, spread my, my thighs, thighs and you're rocking, and you're rocking to the next big thing. Yeah. yeah so they were I mean, already then singing. They just had already. like a, this hit yeah, and they and were you know already. It's really fascinating. And I mean, I'm not going to apologize for being a total fucking geek on a podcast. Podcast that is probably only listened to by fellow geeks. Mostly geeks. I right. Mostly geeks. You You're right. <laughs> through the internet right now, y'all. But like, if you think about it with Super Dragon, the reason why 
I love their first record too, by the way. It's totally worth listening to. The, the song Sucked Out is a great song, but all of the songs, probably 95% of that record is fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it's Aker, great. All those songs. And I love the way the first two songs are seamless. They just go one into each other. There's no, there's no space. But the reason why, actually, this, the record that came out after Head Trip and Every Key in the Valley of the Dying Stars is also fantastic. I could have picked any of those three records. The reason why I picked Head Trip and Every Key is because I really do feel like it, there's like this trilogy. And if you apply the like, you know, Star Wars theory to it, there's that first one that's really cool. And then there's that second one that's kind of the the one that was like misunderstood but right. later the, revealed to be a great dark, one. Yeah, the slightly one. dark misunderstood one, yeah. Right, which I've heard people call the Weezer Star Wars theory because Weezer's Blue Album. Oh, and right, then and then, then that's right, yeah. Right, so anyway, I feel like there's that, that can almost be applied to Super Drag, although to be fair, they they did continue on and put out a bunch more records and in various ways, shapes, and forms. The, the sort of like heart of the Super Drag catalog is... That first record, which for some reason I can't even fucking remember. Oh, Regretfully Yours. Regretfully Yours. And then Head Trip in Every Key, and then In the Valley of the Dying Stars. It's kind of a trilogy, and if you listen to those three records, and I suggest you do because they're fucking great, the beginning of In the Valley of the Dying Stars is like that first song. of that same kind of sentiment except for now they're off a major label and they're like kind of like you know right see <laughs> yeah well all right so just real quick explain to everyone like what happened was because they came out they came out with that first album and they had that sort of sort of hit they were on you know they were on all the shows they were on uh, conan and they were and they were on the shows and they were like the hot indie band so their label gave them money they gave them a lot of money and and they wanted and and here's the thing what i think when you were saying that all these labels were like chasing after the bands but i feel like most of these a&r people labels didn't really know what to do with these people like these bands they didn't know they like thought they know uh, they they knew what they wanted from them they wanted them to just make hit songs you know like uh i think that, yeah i think you nailed it i i don't think unfortunately i think it starts out in any new movement it starts out that you sign bands like they signed nirvana they didn't sign smells like teen spirit they signed rage against the machine they didn't sign killing right, in the name right, of right. they signed bands they believe in the band and then when this once the, the all those bands start to have hits then they start to maybe the i don't know maybe they can't find enough more maybe they've already maxed it out so then they actually i feel like labels and i don't you know i haven't like talked to an a and r person about this but just from an outsider looking in kind of obsessing over this for so many decades and then retroactively kind of studying the past and seeing these trends i feel like labels 
kind of default to signing songs or signing genres where it stops being about the band. You know, another great band that was produced by, I think it was Rob Cavallo, but mixed by Jerry Finn was uh, Jawbreaker, who, you know, I was lucky to see Jawbreaker a bunch of times in their day. And they they, they had no business being on a major label. (laughs) Fantastic band, intelligent, quirky, stylistic, interesting, you know, incendiary but clearly not the kind of band that could like smile for the camera and become radio stars, which, you know, to be fair, Green Day had. Green Day had the, the you know, turns out they make a really great arena band. Right. Jawbreaker right. is not, they're not built for that. Right. You know, so they got signed, they got the whole deal, they got all the money, they made this amazing record, and then they, you know, it sold 17 copies and they got dropped. Now, of course, they've come back and they're bigger than ever, but it's interesting that major labels don't really see gray area they see black and white and i suspect that super drag thinking back to the time when i first heard about him i kind of discovered super drag by accident because when i first heard about him i heard them in the same breath as like all these other there was all these bands and i don't mean to sound like a snob but i was just really not on board for most of those like 90s radio bands like i was never into like Local H and Third Eye Blind and right. uh, Candlebox. I can Candlebox. And yeah. to me, it was all yeah. a bunch of like, and I, and unfairly, I was probably, you know, when I was younger, I was probably a lot more snobby and I was working at a record store. But, you know, I was like, now, nowadays, I can, I'm, you know, I can listen to a song by any one of those bands and go, oh, that's a fucking great songwriter, you know. But at the time, I was like, fuck this, man. Right. This isn't John Spencer Blues Explosion, <laughs> you know. Right. But like, you know, I was just not into those bands. And I suspect that Super Drag probably got signed sort of like the you know marvelous three all these kinds of bands that had a couple catchy things they probably got signed thinking well who knows what this band's like up close but this is a pretty catchy song and let's and they're doing in their local scene let's sign them i don't know exactly what their story is and i sort of almost unfairly wrote them off again (laughs) because i was you know rushing to judgment like oh they're on a major label and they had some song that and i didn't really listen and then I heard the somebody randomly sent me the CD. I think I like used to, you know, review records for the um, local like entertainment rag in my hometown, just so I could get into shows for free and stuff. And so people would inadvertently kind of put me on these mailing lists once in a while, and I just kind of have this like, oh, cool, I got something to sell to the used CD store. <laughs> well, once in a while, I'd actually listen to it, and I'm telling you, man. I put on um, that first Super Drag record, Regretfully Yours, because I saw that it was produced by Tim O'Hare, and I was like, oh, Tim O'Hare, he's produced a lot of cool shit. Let me pop this on and see what's up. And I swear to you, that fucking didn't leave my CD player or whatever I had at the time for like a month. It was like an obsession. I I was like, this is such a fucking great record. And then I was kind of thinking, I'm like, I wish more bands were like this. This is so cool. It's such a cool sounding record. Then I happened to be on the East Coast, actually, visiting some family that I have in Philly. And I noticed, you know, you get there and you're like, what's going on? I I noticed at some small little bar in Philadelphia that Super Drag was playing with, I think, Not A Surf, which, again, another band I totally dismissed at first. Right, because they had that one radio. Because they had that one radio. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I couldn't stand it. But then one of the records they put out when they signed to that label that Death Cab was on, 
Uh, I got this record by them. It has a blue cover. Is it called Let's Go or something like that? Yeah. And it's like one of the great. best records they're, I've ever heard in my life. They're great <laughs> you know, like, Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah, they're it's like I've learned the lesson. Like, no, just just <laughs> don't pass judgment too early. All right, cool. But yeah. let's get into this record because, like I said, yeah, good I, I knew the band did not know the record. First of all, the record sounds. I mean, you could tell they. So what they did was they 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 didn't just go in and and knock out a record. They they said, well, uh, I think um, uh, John Davis actually said this is probably the only time we're going to get a label's going to give us this much money to do something. So um, yeah. I'm, I'm, we're going to do it right. They got you know they had yeah. strings. They did different you know they brought in different musicians. They really uh, they really meticulously recorded, and it shows because it's just it sounds so great and it's so. Right, right. Uh, it, I, I was playing it in my a lot this week because I knew we were going to talk, and I and you know put it go on a drive in your car and crank this crank up the speakers really loud you know it sounds great when you play it really loud it's also one of it's like i mean it tells you right on the cover there's that girl the cover art is a girl with headphones on yep right and um it's a headphones record i mean you can really kind of like you know get inside it and really and i like that about records you know i i it, you know music is cool because it's cool in the background and stuff while you're like making dinner or something but you know there's also something about just like getting it, climbing inside it. That's why I love the idea of like putting on a record, just like sitting there and listening to it, almost like you're going to like sit down and watch Taxi Driver or something. You're like, I know how this <laughs> goes, it. but I still want to watch it because I'm going to pick up a different nuance and it's going to remind me of a vibe that there's no other way I can conjure that up unless I put this on. And that's one of those records. It's, you know, there's a bunch of great songs on it, but it really needs to be sort of, in my never to be humble opinion, like the best records, it's a course. And you don't want to have dessert before you've had your, you know. Oh this. yeah, well, I it, it goes back you know? to my thing where I'm and I'm totally just making this making it up that I think it sounds like a rock opera about about a indie band being signed, but to me it is, and that's why it all kind of makes weird sense the whole the way it's all put together yeah. too, from the beginning all the way to the end to the last song. At the time, they were going through they were going through the you know they were on the they were living the life you know they were yeah. living the dreams. So they yeah. had the major label deal. They had had a hit song on the radio and they were living the life they wrote about in their songs. So you hear those records and you're, you're right. It's like there's there's kind of like maybe three themes that I can pick up out of it. One of them is self-destruction through drugs yep, and alcohol. Yep, right. One of them is the thing about, like you say, like about the, you know, kind of disdain for the the sort of like being slaves to radio and, yeah, and the, your, the your business, company. The business of yeah, music. Music yeah. business. And then the other one, somewhere in between all that, if you really kind of squint your eyes, you sort of see this picture in some of those songs that maybe this isn't about what I think it is. Maybe it's about a uh, relationship that was going on somewhere in between. Maybe the dissolution of a girlfriend. Oh, or being okay, okay. Or, something in there but not it's not as like opaque as like most people who write songs about girls right you know? oh no no not for sure but yeah no you're 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 probably right that's probably in there that's got to be in there somewhere i mean it has yeah to be, right? i mean there's yeah, it's kind of seems like there's like this these three themes going on in that record and um yeah so we could go through the songs or whatever Let's but do it. Uh, well and, and don't forget i want everyone to appreciate the person who produced this record who's unfortunately you know passed away a couple years ago, like maybe like 10 years ago, 10 now, years ago but like did, way yeah. prematurely, like he was in his like late thirties maybe, or like in his forties when he died is Jerry Finn. Yep. Jerry Finn produced all those huge songs, but I mean, he had mixed all of the green day records that you've ever heard, you know, that are huge hits the Dookie and Nimrod. So he was like Rob Cavall's right hand man. Like we said, 
makes the muffs. He, you know, mixed Jawbreaker, Dear You, and then produced the Smoking Pope's Destination Failure, which is a fucking another one we could all do an episode on. <laughs> right. And then he also did um, Morrissey's, like, solo records. Oh, like, yeah, that's you know, right. That's right. Yeah. And, and I met him once when, because he also produced, the his big hit was uh, he produced Enema of the State and, like, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Like, those big, giant Blink-182 records that became, like, What's My Age Again and all those big, giant smash hits, yeah, you know? Yeah. He produced those records. While he was making the self-titled Blink record in maybe 2002 or three, we were on tour and we'd gotten to know those guys, and they we played a show in San Diego. They invited us to the house they were renting where they were recording with them. So I got to meet Jerry Finn, and he was so stoked because he loved this band that I played with, with um, in called Bad Astronaut, this sort of side project. But I was, like freaking out to him about super drag and jawbreaker oh nice and he's nice. like no normally no one even fucking normally someone's like gushing about fucking green day or blink when you do and right, you're freaking out course. about super drag yep. but but the funny thing is you meet bands when you're touring and there's this weird like it's like this whole parallel universe of records that should have been could have been would have been hits and you meet like we talk to and i i hope i don't make people cringe when i drop names but like a friend of mine is is one of my dear friends from growing up is the guitarist of the Foo Fighters. So I've, I've been able to hang out in their camp a lot. All they fucking talk about is Super Drag. Why oh, did the guy... <laughs> I mean, Nick Rastulinex produced Queens of the Stone Age and Foo Fighters. He produced In the Valley of the Dying Stars. He was supposed to produce part of Head Trip in every key. So like, you now you listen to Super Drag, then you go listen to the Foo Fighters. It makes a lot of sense. You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, all people talk about is like failure, jellyfish, jawbreaker, super drag. Like there's this like kingdom of bands from the 90s that probably collectively sold a hundred records, but right, every right, right. band in the world like, like looks up to. You know? Yeah, yeah. Because they yeah. were the ones, uh, yeah, but also they were especially uh, failure. You mentioned that. They were the ones that other people like uh, well, that I was in bands. I remember driving uh, to shows and stuff and listening to all that, listening, you know, oh, yeah. uh, being on tour and listen, that that was all we would listen to is that shit. Maybe it's like some honor among thieves thing or something or where you like have kinship where you're like, I don't feel, I don't feel the need to go around evangelizing about the bands that already made it past the buoys and they're out there and the, you know, like oh, the yeah, giant yeah, for sure. doubts of the world. But you feel this like almost like responsibility to keep to like man i hope someone would do that for my band too someday like you feel like i gotta tell people about jellyfish i gotta tell people about failure <laughs> right, right. you know i gotta tell people about smoking popes or whatever so anyways All i right. gotta tell people about super drag let's you go you do and this album especially let's listen to the opening track i'm expanding my mind you can get me wasted you're the one i cut and pasted and you might have once existed And my memories are twisted Yeah, you robbed me like a strip mine Dead and buried for a long time In an episode you casted In the part where Jesus fasted
Yeah, you know, even just now, I was listening to this. I'm listening to it in headphones now for the first time. And when it gets to that to that big chorus part, the heavy part, you can hear. I'm hearing stuff going on there that I didn't even realize was going on there. I don't even know totally. what, what the fuck it is in the background there, but it sounds great. Totally. It just sounds so. Well, good. it's like you know, like <laughs> this is a really terrible thing, but like. I've heard some kids like say like, oh, that that girl's a Monet. And you're like, what do you mean by that? And you're like, she looks really hot from far back. But when you look up close, you realize that she's not that hot. <laughs> I'm like, like, the, like the painter Monet. And I think some records are like that. Like, it sounds cool when you sort of hear it on the radio or just in the background. But then when you actually really listen to it, you're like, actually, this is like not that great. But this record, like it really pays to check it out from far back, but then cut, get inside it with your headphones and you're like, holy shit, this is a fucking masterpiece maybe even. You yeah, know? it is. The, the way it was recorded and put together for sure. And all right, so the second song, Hellbent, which this is such a great, like a power popish type song. I'm thinking, how is this not? Because the, the complaint from their record label was that uh, this is not the record that w- we wanted to get. We were promised, but what the fuck? I hear this song and I think, what more do you want than this? Uh, I know. I'm confused. Know. All right, let's listen to a little bit of Hellbent. I just have to out um, out our uh, sugar cult real quick. So if you listen to the guitar riff in the in that previous song, yeah, and then you listen to our song "Memory," you're gonna hear what happens when we were trying to figure out how to play that kind of a guitar part, and oh, then okay. <laughs> failed and decided to write our own song, which worked out and turned out to a, a big hit. Now listen to this song, and then when you're done with this show, go listen to the first song on our first record, "Start Static," how we started, and it's pretty much the same thing. You know what? I'm a fan of bands really liking another band and wanting to write a song like that, and, and then it usually comes out not different. Sugar anyway. Cult exists because we were trying to be Super Drag and Elvis Costello, but we weren't nearly I'm a fan. as good. You know what? Every every band, you can say that about every band. Though. That's fine. I have no problem. With okay. that. So many hooks. There's like how many how many hooks were there? there just in that. I know. I know. There's like. You're like, great I hook. could listen to this song instead of listening to Teenage Fan Club, Big Star, and Cheap Trick. It's like it, it's like a package deal. You can just listen to it all. It's a one-stop shop. Yeah. Get it all. <laughs> right. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. So now we get Sold You an Alibi. I, I haven't talked about the lyrics on it so much, but there is the lyrics are really interesting on this record in that. Uh, you know they're they're kind of they're kind of hard hard to really uh, you know figure out always what he's what he's saying uh, or what he's trying to say in the songs, but uh, you know which is at the end of the day that's sometimes that's my favorite records because I don't know what there is, but then as you dig into them deeper and you read them, they they kind of uh, meaning comes to you for them. Yeah, a little by little, but it's not on the nose, which I, I right, like exactly exactly. It's I mean it's it's I think you know and not to be all kids today, but like. I think there was a time where, you know, people appreciated like a book you had to read, like you had to get 200 pages in before it finally started to make sense or something that you had to like watch twice before it made yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. And I think this record was still made, even though, you know, it's it was made in the in the mid to late 90s. But that was still a time where people had a little bit more patience and would actually like you know, spend a little bit more time with a, with a, with a new record or whatever. You didn't have to be hit over the head by it right away. It, 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 there you go. You didn't have to have it like right away or someone was going to hit skip on their, you know, streaming platform. Right. You know? All right. And this is great. I love this because at first when it starts out, it sounds like, oh, it's just like a cool mid-tempo rocker, but then it gets to the chorus and the chorus just soars on this one. So let's just do a little bit of Soldier and To, to make such a pretty chorus and say looking for lies sympathy fuck useless heart didn't want to change my luck i mean it just it, it to have that beautiful sounding chorus and to have those words it's like it's awesome totally and like we were saying before and like the spirit of their previous album the song sucked out or the following album after this and i, I feel like sold you my therapy you can suss it out it's like he's sort of doing that he's like my songwriting is my therapy. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure, songs, for sure, like, yeah. You know, I love that. Yeah, it is, um, it's great. You know, it's interesting, when I was actually, like, uh, diving into this record, I noticed that um, a lot of it was recorded at Sound City, which doesn't exist anymore, the studio out right. in the valley in, in right. L.A., which Dave Grohl, you know, bought the, the, the Neve console and has it in his studio now, the, the Studio 606 or whatever it's called. But uh, Sound City was, like, you know, there's something in that place. It was a dump. I mean, there's a great documentary you can watch on it, but like super drag, head trip in every key, <laughs> the one we're talking about today, Tom Petty, a bunch of Tom Petty records, including Damn the Torpedoes, 
Cheap Trick Heaven Tonight. Right, like right, so right. many rad yeah. records were made there. So it's kind of oh, Nirvana, never mind. <laughs> you know, you think yeah. about all the records that were made there. It kind of feels like okay, maybe there's something in the smell of the carpet that just got on all these bands' records. Yeah, you know? well, yeah, I know. I was reading uh, something, a little something. He was talking. I think it was like the 20th anniversary of this album, and he was talking about that, about uh, recording yeah. there and everything. And yeah, it's just you know that's how it is. Some places just have that magic. And yeah, you you named all those uh, albums recorded there. It's like, it's, yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. And also about the producer, Jerry Finn, I forgot to mention, first record he ever produced on his own without Rob Cavallo was Rancid Out and Out Come the Wolves, which is probably the best Rancid record. Right, right. yeah. I mean, these guys just have this magic touch. It's amazing. Yep. All right, so this next one, I think, was either it was a, a single or the record company. Uh, the record company very quickly just gave up on this album. They just gave up. Uh, they gave up on, you know, supporting it, giving them tour support or anything, which is crazy to me when I listen to it. Because here's another one. Uh, Do the Vampire. I'm saying, how could this not? How come this couldn't? Why couldn't they have just made a video for this? And, and this couldn't have been a, a India, too. But I don't know. Let's listen to Do the Vampire. almost see the video for this song i don't know i know i know i'm just thinking this 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 record evokes so many little bubbles of memories of other great records too like i'm thinking about like frosting on the beater and amazing disgrace by the posies and oh like, right 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 yeah you know, those like thir- those amazing grand prix and 13 and yes. songs from Northern oh Britain yeah well i Gass. definitely i kept coming back to that too a lot of posy but something about, I mean, I know this sounds kind of like immature, but like something about all those bands was always cool, but they were good, but they, how about this? They were great and they were awesome, but they just weren't really cool. And something, you know, but Super Drag had this like, there's just something about it. I don't know, Some it's like, it's like, it's just the je ne sais quoi. They were just cool. Like it was like, they, it didn't feel like these like, dorky dudes right. playing cool <laughs> songs it was literally cool dudes playing cool songs you know so they yeah, have that rare so. thing that i think is a it's, it's something it's something i certainly look for in in a band um uh, as far as a band you're gonna they just it just makes a difference there was something like the singer felt a little bit broken and you believed him like i hear about this guy and i'm like this guy like went through some crisis where he like 
gave all his stuff away and like yeah, sold right, all his right. records, like all these things you hear about him. And then even the records he's made recently, they're not my favorite, but, I, but you know, you, you go, this guy is, this guy's not cut out for, for civil society. Right. <laughs> he's supposed right. to be. And that's kind of how artist. you, so that you're just saying that's how, how you want your rock stars to be. And that's fair. Uh, you're, I, allowed I, to, you're allowed to be. And like that. no disrespect <laughs> to any of those other bands. Cause they're all great too. But like, right. I just love it. It's just so fucking like, I just believe it, you yeah, know. Yeah, when I hear this band, I believe it. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. All right, so this next one, amphetamine. I'm thinking this is this is something of what the label didn't like because it's got the strings and it's very be. It has like that Beatlesque drama to it, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I guess this is what they heard and and they just said, "Who do these guys think?" You know, it's always funny. I feel like some labels say, "Who does this band uh, think they are?" All of a sudden, you know. But it's like it's yeah. like you're you're yeah. fighting against bands do, wanting to do something more artistic and like progress and you're kind of fighting against all that it rarely works but when it does you get radiohead you get wilco you know there's lots of bands that do make it past that weird little oh yeah no no yeah that's a very good point all right let's listen to a little of amphetamine you're the next local superstar take a bow if you get this far nothing's real baby make a move Unexpected groove Prove it to the world Now drink and be real This is the last time Hard to conceal The flavor of strychnine It's crazy. I almost feel like they're recording this. They're making it, but they're already beyond. They already kind of saw what was coming on the horizon for them. You know? Yeah, they must have. They must have read the writing on the wall. Like, yeah, maybe during the record. Because I remember when we make our records. Like, you know, the A&R guy popped by. They're always going to come and check it out. And you know, you get that feeling early on if someone's like, "Oh fuck, this is going to be right. sick," or if they're gonna, if they're kind of like, "Yeah, yeah, this is cool, man. Just keep on rocking." Right. You, know, you get it. You get a vibe. You know, and I'm sure they started to kind of feel the. You know, or you never know. I mean, I haven't really looked up close, but sometimes it's as simple as like you have a champion at a label, someone who this happened to a lot of my friends that got signed to major labels. We have one guy or girl there who's just your champion and they're all about it. Yeah. And then they either get let go or they take another job. And then you're just literally like you're just left like floundering. Your one champion is so- gone. Yeah. yeah, you're just a child looking for a foster parent and yeah. like, you know, or like a pit bull looking for someone to, to to take you in and like and it doesn't always work and I think that's what happened. They probably put this out cuz they they were like contractually obliged to, 
But I'm sure that halfway through the record, the band probably had a pretty good idea or like even before the record was being made, just from the meetings and stuff, they probably, <laughs> probably were like, yeah, I, I think or so. you know what? It could also be this, man. You look around and see all the other bands and go, you know what? Look what happened to Jawbreaker. It's probably yeah, going to happen to us true. too. Yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah. Right. Who knows? All right. So this next one, Bankrupt Vibration. In my imaginary rock opera, this is the dr- dramatic mid-show vengeance rocker like going on. Like in, 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 in the middle of the rock opera, that's what this is. Bankrupt Vibration. I couldn't help turning on, but I never tuned in. Now I want to drop out. are dark and your alternative station is such a bankrupt vibration counting on the confusion of an alternative nation all the terminal patients demand a strong medication getting on with the big show we celebrate what you don't know jumping out of the window (laughs) i mean it's just like there you go like you just that's that sums up what's going on here he's basically going this whole movement that we're called alternative rock that started out with like these amazing like breakthroughs on, you know, with like Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and Jane's Addiction and all these interesting things in the early part of the, the decade, you know, you got to put yourself, what, what year did this record come out? 98, we said? 98, yeah. Yeah. And so like, let's put ourselves back there. What was happening? We had like new metal, <laughs> like Limp exactly. Biscuit, you know, and all these things that were like started out really kind of interesting. Rage Against the Machine had devolved in, in, you know, I'm sure a lot of people love those bands, but, you know, for those of us that were there from the start of that decade, you saw by the end of it, it was like, God, man, it's just like, they're just, just you know, demanding some stronger medication. Now we need like fucking yeah. <laughs> Limp Biscuit and corn and all this stuff. And, and I think the bands like this, you know, if he says like giving you what you uh, don't know, running and jumping out of the window so he's essentially saying i'm gonna make a record that's informed of cool shit like big star and cheap trick and mid 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 career beatles and and pet sounds beach boys yes yes something that maybe someone who has a record collection would would dig but you know basically what i'm doing is committing career suicide so i'm jumping out of the Oh my god! Commercial suicide. <laughs> All right, so now we get uh, Mr. Underground. We get more d- dark peaks behind the curtain of indie stardom. I think with with horns now. Now we got horns in this one, which I think is yeah. awesome. I love it, Mr. Underground. <laughs>
guarantee you at some point, someone from the label went in and heard that and said, what the fuck is that? Uh, I, know. <laughs> I know, but it's like, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it makes you dig up like Venus and Mars era wings uh, and like big stars, great. first two records. Yeah. It's just like, it's just, it's got, but yet it doesn't sound strictly retro. It's, it's in, it, it's like, you could tell these guys have a love affair with like their local used record shop, but like, they're not just like doing the like, Civil War reenactment where right. everything's got these, <laughs> right. you know, ex- exactly the way it used to be. But they're yeah, but yeah. at the same time they're they're celebrating it, and and it just sounds so cool to hear that vibe recorded in the late nineties. Yeah, know? They right. So well. And then and then still again at the end of the day, done so well too, done so well so because well. at the end of the day, this wouldn't be. It could be a great sounding record, but if it didn't have these strong songs on it, like it does, then it wouldn't be the yeah. same thing. I definitely think John. Day, I, I definitely think he's one of the most criminally underrated songwriters of the, you know, of modern rock, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he should be talked about in the same, you know, same conversation where they talk about anybody who's a great songwriter in this, you know, like, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say Paul Westerberg, but <laughs> yeah. I said Paul Westerberg. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You as did. far as being a great lyricist, great songwriter, you know, kind yeah. of uh, someone who lived in their own little bubble in their own little world. I think it's, you know, right. They're, they're super drag. I think they're back together now. Maybe they're doing like a reunion. I think show. they are. Yeah, I think which is great. I, I love seeing that. I love when I love when bands get to finally get their redemption. You know, things didn't work out at the time, but if they if they last out long enough and people still you know revisit you know their earlier stuff and they go, oh yeah, okay, these guys were great. You know what happened? And yeah. it's like they could, uh, you know, they they clean themselves up. They're in good shape, and that's great. I love seeing that. I hope that gets to happen. <laughs> <laughs> this next one, maybe what are the darkest songs on the record antichrist you had mentioned uh drugs being a, a thing a, a theme a part of the theme in here and i think that's comes yeah. up in this one for sure in this one here oh, this, is, this, is a, this is a good song yep antichrist
Yeah, that's great. And and you know, even there, you could hear the the bits and in, in those parts they're playing everything. That's uh, of of the other bands, like you were saying before, the bands that we were we were listening to then, and that they were listening to then too, and that they loved. Mm-hmm. You know, those types yeah. of bands. It's, you could hear it's, that. It's really cool, and that song really has like a, a cool like at the end to it. Like, kind of, I I think I remember that really kind of builds and builds and builds. I think one of the things that really struck me about Super Drag is. And I tried to steal in, in the future songs that, that, that I was part of right. in, in my bands was just their just such like such cool, tasteful, meticulous attention to detail in every little part of a song and yeah. dynamics. Oh, like they just, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. There's so much attention to detail. I almost feel bad not to listen to the whole song, but hopefully people will, will want to go back. No, and listen they will. To I know. I got to do that. I got to bring that. Yeah, no, we got it. Of course, of course. It's but like, true. there's so <laughs> much. There is, you know, like some some music you can just kind of listen to the verse and chorus and go, okay, I get it, and it just replace the lyrics and you know what to expect. But in this band, it's like you want to stick around for all the little attention to detail. Well, the most I will say, most of the records we end up doing on the show that people pick are like that, and there's a reason. There's a reason why records get people high, and it's because of that. Oh, because there of you go. Okay. Down, you know? Okay. All right. So she is a holy grail. This to me is like the uh, psychedelic dream sequence of the rock opera here, uh, which I I don't know if every rock opera has to have that, but that's what this one's <laughs> like for me. She is a holy grail. all the different mood shifts there are on this album and the different vibes that you get, you know? Totally. That's like what I was saying before. It's like, it's really nice to listen to it like in sequence. Cause if you just heard that song on its own, you'd be like, Oh, I'm not, that's, I'm not really that into super drag. I don't like that mellow kind of stuff. But you hear it as like a palate cleanser between those songs and what comes next. Exactly. So much sense. Yep. It does. Especially this next one, a pine away, pretty, it's a pretty simple song about maybe a pining for someone, but this again, it's got that teenage fan club. Just, it's just a great song. Just a, it's just a fucking, yeah. It's just like, it just gives you what you want in a rock song. Yeah, right there, right away. She flies out to 
aside from the fact that it's just like a really great uh, a pop song, I love the guitars. You hear a little bit of that Kevin Shields, My Bloody yeah. Valentine, like droning guitar totally. there. Uh, that, underneath that droning static just going on like constantly. I'd love to know what that was. Yep. You know, but I love that riff too, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. So I love that he does the same thing over and over again. It just becomes this like. It's it's just so it's so cool. All right, the Chuck and Jive. Um, this song, uh, this song has something that he uh, that he does a lot. Uh, you notice he puts little Easter eggs of things that he loves because he's got something about uh, a palm tree in the sand, which is uh, I think uh, it's a nod to like California Girls, the Beach Boys, which obviously he's a fan of the Beach Boys. And in an, another song here, he does like a Beatles thing. He, he puts these little Easter eggs in there. And, and there was a couple songs ago where he I forgot to mention he he said he he made he referenced the last waltz. The like last the waltz second. and um, yeah. fool on the hill and on yeah and this one he's got the palm tree in the sand. Let's listen to a little of Chuck and Jive. I will say, in my fake made-up rock opera, this song is important because this is the breaking up. The band is breaking up song. What yes, did you What totally. did you expect? I'm afraid you're incorrect, and you're breaking up the band by a palm tree in the sand. And and that could be like because maybe the label's based in Los Angeles too, because palm trees. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I mean, it absolutely does. I think your I think your your rock opera theory is is pretty um is pretty bang on, dude. Oh, good. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I think we got, I think this, yeah, I think this, this, this kind of lines up. <laughs> now we need someone to put it all, uh, produce it, put it all together in an actual production. He's super drag. You should call your old friend, Billy Joe from Green Day. There you go. That's right. He's got the Broadway connection. And do like a Broadway version of this record and then bring it back to life. There you go. Yeah, yeah. It could happen. It could happen. They actually, I think they got to play some shows. I think they got to tour with Green Day too. I know Green Day loves this band too. I can see that. I, I, I could totally see that. Do you ever, do you ever just stop and marvel at how like, just how huge Green Day became. I mean, sometimes it's insane. It's insane. But I love. Uh, I read. Did you ever read the book by um, what was the label that they were on? Oh, Lookout Look Records. Out. All right. So the yeah. Lookout guy wrote a book. Larry about, Livermore. Yeah. yeah Larry yeah. Livermore wrote a book, and he, he had a great line because when bands bands were complaining about like the back then, the younger bands were complaining about how much attention Green Day was getting attention, and he was like, "Well, why don't you guys write? If you, when you guys start writing songs, I know as good as Green Day." I, then you know get back to me <laughs> i know and i'm so i'm so being that guy but like i did i was fortunate enough to 
see Green Day a bunch of times, like before they signed to a major label, you know, they would come through our town just on their little like punk rock tours right. on their own, just, you know, and yeah, play yeah. In front of, like, you know, just local kids like us. And they, you knew there was, you, when you went to punk shows, you didn't go because you liked the band. You went because you wanted to be away from your parents and around your friends. And that was just what was happening. And so if the band was good, it was like, Oh cool. The band's actually good. Right. Yeah. So you mostly just were like, Bonus. Stoked to hear the loud sound. You didn't have to think of anything too interesting to, t- to talk to, to say to a girl that you were trying to make out with. Right. And, and then like once in a while, a band would make you kind of turn your head and be like, wait, these guys aren't just like every other kind of crappy, you know, band that comes through town. And yeah. you know, you saw that with green day right from the start. And I'll say, my, our band Popsico got to open for them when they came through on the Dookie tour when they were playing clubs. And then Sugar Cult got to open for them on the American Idiot tour when they were playing arenas. And then I just go and like see them play at a stadium. Like me and my wife just went to see them play at a stadium. Every time I've ever seen them play in every configuration, A, they put on a fucking amazing show and they, they seem like they belong where they are. Right. Which is weird because, yeah. you know, and two, they always sound just as good, if not better than their records. Like, it's I don't true. Know, like, it's true. Just, you know, my daughter actually, yeah, my, my older daughter, Corey, was a huge Green Day fan. And so I saw them like back in the day, I would take her to show. So I saw them a lot. And yeah, the same thing. Okay. I would discover yeah. no matter where I saw them. You're right. They were great. Yeah, they know. It's it's a weird thing because like commercial success does a weird thing with like, you know, like real like music connoisseurs. Sometimes they'll just immediately just like shut off. But like Green Day will make a believer out of you. If you go see Green Day play, it's like, holy shit, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And that guy, oh my God, they love music. They just sit around. They'll do this all day long. (laughs) They should be on your show. (laughs) Those guys love Yeah, no, it probably would be like a three hour episode, right? Um, (laughs) All right. So things start to get a little existential towards the end of the record, I feel like. And uh, Wrong Versus Right Doesn't Matter is uh, the beginning of that. It's the penultimate song. Let's listen to that. You cut my gentle flower down Pierced aside with the pin for your lapel Ah, you plucked the ruby from her crown Now your karma's coming down 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 I've got a right to reclaim that You're much too dim to explain that Wrong versus right doesn't matter Your simple skull's gonna shatter You're the bastard in Bowman Disaster, disaster You laid her body out to dry A possession like any other kind Yeah, so this part here where he's saying you laid her body out to dry, a possession like any other kind, only she read the lyric to your lie. I think this is what you were talking about when you said you, there was an underlying 
relationship type thing. I think I think that's here because I can't tell if if it is that or not. But I think maybe it is. I think maybe it's on uh, different levels. Maybe it's multi levels. You know, maybe he's talking yeah. about two different things at the same time. Yeah, and to be fair to whoever this maybe possible ex girlfriend was, or and or record label was, <laughs> right? You know. I mean, the real thing is a lot of work. And I think this band was the real thing. So, yeah. you know, you have, I mean, this guy doesn't seem like the most like go with the flow, compromising artist. He's going to do what he wants. You know, he seems like the kind of guy that's just like he projects some kind of feeling that he is. He's not going home after the show and taking off his costume. He's going straight to the after party and then finding out where the after party to the after party is. Right. right. So he's, a, he's and, a, uh, living it. Know. He's not just doing it. Yeah. Surf on the surface. He's you know, living it. Yeah. He's in the, he's, he's, you in know, it all maybe, the maybe he flew too close to the sun. <laughs> right. <laughs> now he's been, well, you know, but. so do you know anything about, because on this one, they, they, uh, he, he mentions karma, your karma's coming down. And then on the last song, there's sitars and there's some Indian stuff. Do you know anything about that? Like, is there? <laughs> I don't. I don't really know. Other than like what we were saying before, that it seems like they had a, a big major label budget and they were like, let's have some fun and get the <laughs> okay. horns in there, right. get the which sitar great, in there. Which is just fine. We yeah. can't, I know, think like, it's really cool. Like Simon LeBond from Duran Duran famously said, why do rock rock and roll stars date supermodels? Because, because they can. They can. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> why do why do bands on major labels that know they're probably going to get dropped hire sitarists and <laughs> because they fucking, can. you know who knows you but know? i think it's really it's cool. cool though and the art of dying is a really is a cool song very uh, dramatic and it's a longer one and it's funny because he even said that he would have that he thought this should have been the single from the album because then people would have realized oh okay this is something different this isn't you know he he, he thought it would have made more sense to, to not give anyone what they expected and to just show them okay this is this is going to be something totally different a right. totally different because he was an artist <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? right well yeah and, at the you end know, of the like, day listen john it's the music business <laughs> not the music friends mate <laughs> <laughs> that's great all right but it's still it's a really cool song and i'm and it's a shame no, yeah, maybe cool. maybe i'll play the whole thing in, in the outro of the episode yeah it's kind of a perfect i i like when the end of a, i mean i don't know if it was just floating in the ether in the 90s but the idea of ending your song with something uncharacteristic of the rest of the record and kind of like slower is there's that thing when you're making a record if you if you if you're making a record with that mindset of course these records were all made before we had iTunes and before we had um, streaming so you still had that you know, this was a CD era, so you were still you weren't thinking about side A and side B. No, so you were much. listening you were to it from beginning like, to end. Yeah, from beginning to end, and you were thinking, if you've made it this far in the record, you kind of deserve this. You know, then then you know, we have a feeling you're on board with us enough that we can we can throw enough of a curveball at you that you're going to stick around for it. Right. And if nothing yeah. else, you just you know, there, get started over again, and it's yeah. going to make the first song sound all the better. You That's know? cool. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm in agreement. I like that, and this totally fits uh, exactly what you're saying so uh, the last song the art of death
love it. He says, forget you are, forget you know, forget the song, forget the show. And then he says this thing, Mani Padmi Hum for now while Padma City. So I looked it up. It, it, it's a mantra. It's like an ancient mantra that's related to the Bodhisattva of compassion. Oh, wow. But, Interesting. But I, but I guess what he's doing at the end, he's saying... Forget all this. Forget the stupid label. You know, forget the the shows. Forget all that. Just let it all go. And he's maybe that's kind of like how they're leaving you with that, with the end of the record. Right. And if the song is called "The Art of Dying," it's like maybe that is the you know maybe the narrative most of us construct is that we live our whole lives and then we die at the end. But in fact, is especially if you if you've been lucky enough to get a little bit older, you realize that like. Life is kind of like, and not to be confused with the, the French use, uh, you, you know, meaning of this word, but life is kind of a series of little deaths, you know, like right, the, the right, French yes. say la petite, petite mort, and that basically means an orgasm, <laughs> but like, but it's kind of like a bunch of little deaths, like you go through a chapter of your life, and then that chapter is kind of like, you know, you're, you, you become a teenager, you, you know, you've kind of died as a child and been reborn as a teenager, you know, yep. it's just kind of, and then you become an adult, you kind of died as an adolescent, become an adult. And you get signed to a major label, you kind of die as a as a local band. Yes. And yes, get reborn right. as a commercial product that needs to be marketed through things like radio. And then you come to the end of that and you kind of die as a commercial product. And then right. maybe you become this cultural relic that gets, you know, signed to an indie label or breaks up or, you know, whatever happens. It's kind of an interesting like I think your theory about this you know being kind of a this whole record being sort of a uh, predicting of one's you know downfall at least you know as far as their record label is concerned I think it's pretty spot on and this this song like the art of dying like it's kind of like okay we're gonna do this in a dignified way right we're gonna, right we're gonna leave a masterpiece that people are gonna fucking talk about on a podcast a hundred years later yes exactly <laughs> there you go see so i'm told i'm 100 going with what i said now that's it that's it for sure now i know that but fuck dude we are talking about this record 25 years after it oh, came yeah. out now yeah no for sure and uh and and like i said it's not something you know how it is things fall through the, even bands that, that you kind of like but things fall through the cracks and you never get to hear it and then later someone will say hey did you ever really listen to that album and then you listen to it and you're like oh my god you know but you know that's how it is that's uh for sure uh, sure. Real quick, I do want to mention, because I always hate when I do stuff like this, and we mentioned John Davis, but I want to mention the rest of the band, just because the playing on this oh, whole sure. album is so great. You got Brandon Fisher uh, on the other on guitars, and Tom Pappas on bass, and Don Coffey Jr. is playing drums. And the playing on the whole album is just great. That's what, you know, it's like just sitting here with you and listening through this record, it just reminds me, like, I mean, with all the bells and whistles, with the horns and all that kind of stuff and the strings, it's great, but at the end of the day, it sounds like a band. It oh, sounds yeah, like for sure. Right. Room, 100%. Yep. You know, like these, it sounds like, it just sounds like a band. It sounds like four guys singing and playing together in a room. And it's just recorded, you know, hats off to, to Jerry Finn, you know, rest his soul for um, just having a real talent for capturing that. That's you know, it. You know. Exactly. That's good. And all right, speaking of bands, hold up. I'm going to take a picture now. Hold up the record that uh, that's coming out. So this record is coming out really soon now, right? Oh, yeah. No one's seen this yet. No one knows about this and probably no one cares, so who gives a fuck? No, but this care. band I had in the early 90s called Popsico um, with Keith Brown, Tim Cullen, and Mick Flowers, because you want to know the other band members. Yes. Um, and we've got uh, vinyl and a little book, that com a little companion book 
that was written by our friend Steve Coulter, a.k.a. S.W. S.W. Loudon. Loudon. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, you'll be able to learn. We figured no one's going to know about why they should care about this band. Hopefully the music does the talking. But in case you're like me and you like all the other stuff, we've got a kind of oral history that we put together of the band. That's great. That's awesome. That's really great. It's going to be cool. And and it comes out, I believe, um, we just had a conversation about this. The single, there's going to be like a a B-side that's not on the record and then coming out digitally. At the, in February, and then I believe this comes out at the end of April, like I okay. think April right. 28th on Big Big Stir Records, um, which is a great little kind of like power pop and garage kind of label out of LA. Um, yeah, so lots of cool stuff to geek out on. Hopefully, I could get somebody to do an episode on that record at some point. Because hey, that sounds I mean, cool. Well, maybe uh, Steve will come and do that. You know, he can. I'll send you. I'll send He's you a allowed. copy of the record because because it's uh, yeah, Steve would be appropriate because you know he was best friends. He grew up with the lead singer. Um, but you know, all the more reason. I mean, thank goodness, knock on wood, all the guys in Superdrag are still kicking. But like, it's one thing when when a band you know you know breaks up or when they get dropped by a label. It's another thing when a band was like. I mean, we were like this close to being signed by the same guy that signed Soul Asylum. Yep, and we right. were just about to do all these things. And um, I think it's a great record. It's a great band. And it's just for, you know, because one thing after another, it just, just didn't work out. And how many other records are like that that are out there? Oh, yeah. You know? Oh, come so, on. Yeah, sure. So it's no, just, that's great. Know, that's so awesome. Much great shit. I know that it's just it's comforting to know there's other people out there that are as obsessed with records as I am. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're out there. Trust me. They're out there, Marco. All right. That, this was great. Uh, yeah. No, this was great. You did great. Uh, don't forget, uh, you can follow me on Instagram and Facebook. It's at That Record Got Me High. Also, that Facebook group got me high. is a lot of fun. On Twitter, it's at TRGMH Podcast. You can email me at TRGMH33 at gmail.com. Most importantly, if you enjoy listening to the show, you can go to Patreon.com forward slash TRGMH and become a patron of the show. I'd appreciate it. Marco, this was awesome. It was really fun. I finally got you to pick a record, and it was a good one, <laughs> and it was great. So we'll definitely I'm glad we did this one. I'm yep. really glad we did it. All right. I'm Rob Elba. We'll see you all next week. We're out of here. You too.